Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Road to High Five, a chance for me to speak to members of the High Five team and learn a little bit about them and how they ended up here. Uh, today, our guest is Jim Grout, Executive Director. Looking forward to this conversation, Phil. For us, I think there's, you know, we could go so far back in adventure. We could also talk about possibly the start of, of High Five. But I think we'll start at, for you, when was the first time that you found that you actually were doing adventure education as a career? It was, I can remember vividly the first job that I actually got hired to do, which was on Thompson Island off the coast of Boston, South Boston, actually. And kind of an interesting job. It was going to be work with community groups from uh, seven week weekend program, seven weekends in a row. And it was community groups from all the communities of Boston and the, uh, the charge they had given us. And I, I think I was all of 26 at the time yeah. was to improve race relations in the city of Boston. <laughs> so we had every, every group you could think of adults in young people, uh, with us for two days. It was, it was a fascinating program, but it was quite the initiation into the field, uh, I remember being very excited and, and it's a good thing that I didn't know what I didn't know at the time. And you stuck around. So something <laughs> obviously worked. Did the program seem like it had some f- like positivity to it? Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it went extremely well. It was yeah. certainly not without its challenges. Yeah. But it was, uh, I mean, there were some, you know, comical moments. There were some deep discussion moments. It was, I mean, it was very uh, gratifying from the standpoint to get people together of, of every diversity that you could think of. And they would do extremely well during that time period. I think early, early on for me, it was a lesson in the power of adventure education as an educational tool, which Mm. is an expression I still use today, 40 plus years later, saying adventure education is a good educational tool. Yeah. Uh, And were you you originally training to become a teacher, like an educator? Yeah, when I graduated from college, I actually had my degree in elementary education, which I never, ever taught. (laughs) I did, I mean, at that level, I did, uh, right out of college, I taught special education and then went on to teach at a school uh, for kids with dyslexia. So I taught language arts and, and tutored. And that was actually the first exposure that I had to adventure because there was a a challenge course, or at the time they called it a confidence course on campus. This was at the Landmark School in yeah. Massachusetts. And I was tutoring a kid, and I saw somebody zip by the window. And I thought, what the heck was that? Huh. And I had been to Outward Bound as a college student, so I, mean, I was well aware of sort of using the wilderness as, or experiential ed as a tool to learn and develop yourself. This person zipped by the window, and I said, I want to know more about that. And one thing led to another. I talked to the instructor. I started to help him a little bit, went off to a training program that uh, Project Adventure was offering, mm-hmm. uh, got connected with them as a certified national trainer, it was called back in the <laughs> late seventies. And that's what led to the job actually at Thompson Island. Uh, oh, wow. So from, from that job, um, where, where did you end up from there? How, when did it become a full-time thing? Was that still full-time? Or was that just those seven days? And then you didn't know what we no, were doing after? That was or? still, that was seven weekends. Yeah, it seven was weekends. Uh, just part-time. So we were called as needed, almost like a contract service. Yeah. And there was six of us at the time that were available, but I, I lived pretty close by, so I would get called pretty frequently. But at that time I was teaching school. And then after I left teaching, I went and became a, uh, I was the head of a community center. And we did a lot of youth programming through that. And I started a program called Beyond Boundaries, which was an outdoor program in the summer for high school students, yeah. mostly middle school and high school students. 
uh, was still working part-time doing adventure education, but then incorporating it into my role with all the activities at the community mm-hmm. center and moved to Vermont, came back to Landmark College because I had worked for them down there <laughs> yep. and became, uh, I was the college counselor and coached the soccer team and ran the outdoor education program and was there for about two years and then left there and started a nonprofit called the Leadership Project. And that was uh, just my, me. <laughs> I was the only one. And uh, then we got a large federal grant and yeah. began to do all this work on leadership development. It also had a lot of funding that came through uh, drug and alcohol prevention work and health promotion. Mm-hmm. So I did that for uh, a lot of years, but we merged uh, maybe the second or third year into that, merged that program with Project Adventure. So I had a separate board of directors and that sort of thing. And, yeah. and then uh, later on started High Five. There's so there's like this running uh, trend through your career, it seems, of the the founding of ideas and organizations. <laughs> what that it seems like in each of those, and I think of stories that you've told in the past, even um, about the grant that you received for the leadership project, receiving on a phone in someone's in, and it was it. Oh, it was a leadership project. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't have an office at the time, and yeah. I had left my job at the college. And, and we sent in applications to all these different places looking for funding, to, which was an idea that I had started at the community center around leadership development. And uh, I had no office, but I had an answering machine on the shelf behind my kitchen uh, washing machine and dryer. <laughs> I came home one day and we had been turned down by 22 foundations. Yeah. All negative, no money for you yeah. folks. And uh, of course, the clock was ticking because I had quit my job, but I, I had... I did get a gift of some money uh, to help initiate this happening. I mean, that's the reason I could leave the job. And uh, one day I came home, the light was flicking. I hit the button and they said, congratulations, you've been awarded $405,000 a year for the next three years. <laughs> and I remember my brother was with me and he said, what did they say? Yeah. I said, oh my word, we, we got uh, we got funding. It was one of 10 programs in yeah. the country that got funded at that time. It was very exciting. And it seems like that happened again, that same sort of like, oh, things aren't maybe working and then suddenly comes out, even with High Five. Is it that two years into High Five, there was questions around its future and then the China job? Yes, that's right. Uh, When we, it was about the second year in, we had our board of directors. There were six of us when we started High Five. There was was never five of us. Uh, (laughs) People always say, oh, that's why it was High Five. (laughs) And we were just, you know, it was hard. We we had all put up, I I used my home equity loan. Others had done different things to try to get this going. And we were just running out of money. And the board was close to saying, I'm not sure. They were just being cautious with us. I mean, you know, we ultimately made our own call. But um, we had this job pending with China, but we hadn't heard yet. And uh, mm-hmm. the week after the board meeting, when we were saying, what are we going to do? Uh, I said, well, let's wait and see what happens with China. And we got an email from China or whatever it was at the time or a fax and said, we want to move ahead with the project. And I think it was $200,000. Our budget at the time was projected to be 400000 but we weren't even close. Yeah. So here was half the budget coming in in one job and off to China we went. Yeah. <laughs> So, so uh, when we think of both those things, so there's two examples of there's a a risk is you're, you're taking a leap of faith almost mm-hmm. to like sure. with the passion that you have. What what do you think for you mean makes you want to keep 
going. Like I can see those things in somebody else's life being like, well, I'm, that's it's done. It's not going to work. Mm-hmm. What do you think contributes to your desire to keep going? I mean, it's been happening. My, the, the community center I worked with in, in the town of Marblehead was a boarded up Catholic school. It had been boarded up for 15 years. And yeah. We were in a building next to it and we were doing a lot of community work and I was doing a lot of youth work. And I said to some of the people there, I said, anybody ever think of like, maybe we could just start a community center. It didn't exist. Yeah. So they said, yeah, people would love that because the school closed and people felt badly at closed. And, and, uh, I don't know. Sure enough, people rallied around and we, it's still there today. I, I've gone down there periodically. So I think it's always, I get excited by the idea. And I yeah. think you do get better at, I mean, when we started high five, that was probably the biggest leap of faith because, you know, I'd had many, many good years previously, you know, when I, when I merged the leadership project with project adventure and then we sort of unmerged, I guess you could say that, but, um, it was, you know, the mission, the passion, the drive to, you know, to, I know I just always have a lot, a strong <laughs> drive to do what I feel like can or should be done. Yeah. I, don't know, I hope it's not arrogance. I think it's just confidence and you do get yeah. better at it. I mean, in high school, I started a hockey team and we, uh, we just celebrated our 50th anniversary of the, the pond rats playing hockey together. <laughs> and all these people have been, you know, we're playing with kids of kids now. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know. It's, it's in my blood. I get hurt. Just to keep I, stuff. Maybe yeah. I just couldn't work for anybody. So I have to be the founder and director, you know, but <laughs> like, this is my last directorship. I'm, I'm yeah. uh, excited to, you know, at high five, we have, you know, a great staff, a great depth of leadership, a lot of stewardship that goes on. And it's, it's going to be very exciting to, you know, see how that continues into the future. And I always hope to have a part in it, obviously, but, uh, you know, yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's just, uh, my, my, it makes my wife nervous, but she goes along with every one of them. <laughs> wow, you're, you're a lucky man. Uh, I, and I think that, you know, that, that passes on into the company because we, I think we had a, at the last retreat, possibly the one before was the discussion of the walk on the moon. Was it this? Right. right. And, and there's that, there's just the thought of, <clears throat> Let's let's see where we want to go. Let's have ideas, and let's not be burdened by the what ifs, the details, right? the details. Yeah, all of them. And I think that that's for us was like, I, there's been a lot. There's a lot of new ideas coming through over the year, mm-hmm. and in a new excitement around stuff, new projects. And what's also awesome, what feels awesome, is the feeling that we don't feel. Like we have to come up with all the answers right away. Mm-hmm. Like come up with an sure. idea and then be passionate about it and then we'll see where it goes and the organization does its best to try to accommodate them, which is very rare, yeah. I would assume. You know? Well, and I think in that, I remember that song, well, Walk on the Moon by the Great Big Sea. They're out yeah. of uh, Cape Breton, Canada, I think, or something. And, you know, it's a wonderful tune, but it's, it's you know, that... The leap of faith is is calculated. You know, go mm. go to the uh, the leap of faith on a challenge course. It there's a perception of great risk. Yeah, and in the end, there's almost none. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. the equipment works, the rope is strong, all that kind of thing. I think our leap of leaps of various faith as we've done things always had the you know even at high five now. I mean, they always have the risk it might not work, but it, you. You, you do calculate, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You try to, and you, you can get better and better at calculating. And in some ways the risks become maybe a little bit smaller, but now here we are 22 people and it's the 19th year and there's still risk involved. Every year is a new year. Like hmm, what will happen this year? Now we're pretty strategic in our thinking, but I think it's just always getting excited, getting people excited by the ideas, having people be thoughtful about it. 
uh, you kind of know when it doesn't feel right. You, know, you mm-hmm. might remember a few years ago, we, we were, you know, we weren't sure we were going to lose our home here at, yeah. uh, in Vermont, the property. And, uh, it was nerve wracking to know, okay, what are we, what are we going to do? And we backed off trying to pursue anything because we knew we have no money. We can't do this. Even yeah. if we had to, unfortunately we didn't have to move, yeah. but it'll come around again. So what's the future for high five with facilities? And you know, you don't want to be facility rich and then lose your programming, yeah. <laughs> but you gotta have a secure permanent home. And I think it's, you know, it's just getting everybody's best thoughts and mm-hmm. it's been fun the way people at high five over the years have responded to that. And we have people who are, you know, wicked detail people and you need them to push back and argue mm-hmm. and say, how are we going to do this? But you don't need that initially with the conversation. Like what's the walk on the moon? Yeah. yeah let's go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's fun. It's always a really enjoyable part of the retreat is just the, the, just the freedom just to come up with ideas and think what is the new yeah. year going to hold for us? And there's a lot of cool stuff that's come out of that as sure. a direct result of being able to just have that freedom yeah. to discuss it, which is really cool. Well, even this next thing with the, <clears throat> excuse me, with the 10 year vision, I mean, where will we be in 10 years? A lot of the pieces of that puzzle are in place. They need to be elaborated upon and executed. Mm-hmm. And then there's pieces we don't know what they were. You know, I've always said the Ubuntu cards were not part of a strategic plan. No. Thank goodness we were open and minded enough to say, Something in our gut feels like these could be a good idea. Yeah. And I mean, could you just did a masterful workshop with them yeah. at the symposium. And well, just, Chris Ortiz, when we came up with that title, I am because we are the word Ubuntu. Yeah. That was the perfect explanation of, yeah, that a lot of what we do here is, you know, we're good individually, but we're a whole lot better collectively. And we bring that message to others we work with. Yeah. I think of like my start here being, um, bolstered and, and, and and even made possible by somebody else to a degree. Like I had, I was obviously passionate about getting in, but I had someone helping fan the flame of that passion and support mm-hmm. me. Um, did when you were starting in this field, did you have someone like that who was like also reaffirming that you were doing it, or is it all about well, all just you're able to do that yourself? Oh no, no, it was it was uh, for when I connected with Project Adventure at the time. I got very, excuse me, did a lot of work with Carl Rocky mm. and uh, Carl was instrumental, I think, in my watching, in watching his teaching style and feeling very comfortable with it. And then feeling as though, you know, I can do this because it's all about relating. Yeah. You know, how are you going to relate with that workshop I do now when in doubt, giving me your heart is mm-hmm. all about <clears throat> how would you relate with somebody? You know, we're very different people, but I think yeah. I felt very comfortable with the way getting up in front of a group and and leading all that. But I mean, that took years to feel extremely confident with, you know, and there were many others along the way. I mean, you know, that you just started to feel connected with and learn from them. And it was, it's wonderful. So no, I didn't just start out at that mm. point. And it was, you know, you had the script, but the script doesn't do much for you until yeah. you feel, but I was a paper boy at a big insurance company when I was a kid. And I probably met 300 people a day who bought a paper from me. And I was young, yeah, you know, 12, 13, 14. And you just start talking to people so I always felt very comfortable, you know, communicating like yeah. that. And then, you know, I had a deep voice. So I think people listened to me for some reason <laughs> if I wasn't saying the right things. But that's what the accent does for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's been so many people. Nikki Hall, you know, just a wonderful, wonderful mentor and colleague over the years going back in time. And this, I don't want to mention ones because I'll forget ones. You, yeah. But, uh, you know, Nikki's style, completely different, insightful, probably the most one of the most insightful people I've ever Mm-hmm. worked with or met 
and would see things that I wouldn't see. And I learned a lot from that, like paying more attention to a group when you're working with them. And, and now I've learned, you know, I learn a lot now from the people we've hired and, you know, work with you and others. And, mm-hmm. you know, your, your art and craft is getting more perfected than in way, certain ways than mine is in, in terms of embracing the, the content and how it becomes more intentional. So it's fun to still do that. And, you know, yeah. And I think it's the, for me, that's a, that's a contribution to those people around me because the training team, we're all very different. Sure. <laughs> like I wouldn't yeah. classify any of us being like-minded, even in the, even in our style. Like I, mm-hmm. I could not emulate the stuff that Lisa does or the detail or in stuff that Chris does <laughs> or the experience level sure. of the stuff that yeah. Rich has. So it's, I think all of those sort of complement each other really well. And, and as a, you know, a person delivering programs and facilitating. I mean, it is so, it has to be so rich in who you are as a person. You bring that to the group first. All the other stuff, you have to know it. You got to master it. You've got to do it well. But I think it, it emanates from you, whoever you are as a person. And that's how people connect with you. You know, you're not trying to, I've kidded sometimes that I, you know, I'll be a chameleon with almost any group that I'm working with. Mm. And I do that purposely to sort of connect with them, get on their level, whatever that may be as a group or in their minds and then it helps me lead them and make them feel comfortable mm-hmm. but i'm not forcing my agenda on them yeah. i'm just being myself and sometimes being them and people's yeah, yeah. questions sometimes well you know is it, is it good to be a chameleon i say sure if it's going to help me understand a group yeah and and really grow with them and i have permission to lead them differently mm-hmm. then you know chameleon's probably too strong a word but it's just you know, there's a way there that em- empathy is chameleon in itself. Sure. Yeah. You know, the act of empathizing with others. So I asked this question to, um, we did this as a trainer conversation, but I think it'd be a good question to bring up to you. Uh, do you still, when you facilitate, do you still get <clears throat> nervous? And then how do you deal with that? Absolutely. If I actually, if I, you know, uh, Lisa and I just went down, we did a job in Boston with an organization, a company. Mm-hmm. that we had never worked with before. And uh, I love getting nervous. Wow. I really do. Yeah. I mean, if I wasn't nervous, I'd be a little nervous. <laughs> if that makes <laughs> yeah, sense. I'm too but, calm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've always kidded with people. I mean, to this day on a challenge course, like I really, I'm not a real great detail person. I am when I'm on the challenge course. I get, mm-hmm. I really put on a different headset or when yeah. I teach our managing an adventure program workshop or something. But to this day, if I were to send somebody off a zip wire and it's just something about a zip wire or a, a leap of faith because people leave it and you know, you've hooked it up, right. You know, everything is right, but there's a little, little flutter in my stomach yeah. and I think it's healthy. So I, yeah. I'd almost be afraid if I felt complacent, you know, or if I'm out trying to help set up the course or something like that. And you know, I still enjoy climbing trees, but it's harder to do than it used to be. That's for sure. Yeah. But I, I think it just, you need that nervousness to be on your game. Yeah. I think, yeah. uh, you know, I think there's, thoughts that nervousness is negative and I've fought <clears throat> against that for ages because I'm particularly nervous but I I think that I agree like the nervousness makes me better at being detail-oriented when I need mm-hmm. to be and there's something authentic to it because everyone experiences it anyway yeah. and so it's how you deal with it is often the if you can't get your words out because you're so nervous that's tricky but yeah. if you don't if you look nervous tying a knot, probably you shouldn't tie it. <laughs> yeah. It's but, like when uh, people belay for the first time and they say, am I on belay? Yeah. And the person says, belay on with a question mark. You're like, oh, that's the wrong time to say a question yeah. mark. <laughs> My word when you say, you know, we've all been through that, yeah. that learning to belay. Or, 
And I think it's the same with emotions. Do you know what I mean? That you, you know, you're trying to, you know, share your emotions and your thoughts and your ideas and, and do it in a way that feels genuine and natural. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's, you know, that's similar to nervousness, I guess. Yeah. So looking towards the future of High Five, we've, we've, we talked about your, you did the leadership project. Mm -hmm. Edge your leadership as, as it's started at High Five and, and it's blossoming in this, in this incredible program. Talk a little bit about Edge your leadership and where you think that's going. That's a good one. <laughs> I know. It's like, yeah. how do we describe what we do for a job? So it was funny because Ryan just said to me, and we we're doing some, you know, it seems like massive planning with the future of Edge of Leadership with the Young Ways and Ryan and, uh, and Steph. And uh, Ryan said, wait a minute, this was just a summer program, remember? <laughs> and nothing yeah. could be further from the truth because, oh, yeah. you know, in this this demonstration site in Keene, New Hampshire, it's, you know, a thousand students and teachers and yeah. it's massive fifth graders, sixth graders, seventh graders. And it did start out as a summer program. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember the first conversation sitting in our kitchen and for some years I had been, it had been on my mind like that, you know, we always worked with youth and, and they'd come here for a day or whatever it might've been. And, you know, good programs, but there, I felt like it was time to pull together all the best ideas that, any of us had at the time and the staff was much smaller than around youth development and you know in, a, in, a, in an ever-changing world the demands on youth and some of the challenges they face with just seem to be they seem to be growing i mean i'm sure there's challenges in the past but it just felt like we we, we can do better is kind of what i felt and mm -hmm. i was waiting for the right time when we'd had some staff that really wanted to embrace a whole new depth of of uh leadership development yeah. for young people and I felt like we had been through sometimes various, you know, we'd do a program on bullying or not bullying or yeah. do a program on drug and alcohol prevention years past. But leadership felt like we were going to come through a different door. And it certainly applied to everybody. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when Ryan uh, was first here, it was his first year. And I talked to him about it. And he said, can you give me some time to think about it? <laughs> I said, sure. So I think it was about a year later. And we sat down and we started comparing notes and talking about the summer program and things that it could have. Yeah. And Sure enough, the summer program took off and it was, you know, did very well. And it, it was small. I mean, two weeks of two sessions in the summer for high school students from around the Northeast. Then uh, we had a school that asked us about working with their fifth grade, uh, which was in Westminster, Vermont. And we worked with them for three or four years, I think almost four years. That was the first application of, hey, wait a minute. A lot of these edge of leadership concepts seem to have a home mm -hmm. with younger ages as well. And... One thing led to another. We got some money from CNS Wholesale Grocers to pilot a program with Westminster and a school in Keene. Mm -hmm. And Keene grew from one school to every elementary school, all the middle school, and, and a number of programs within the high school, and then working with all the staff. And it's it's fascinating. I mean, I, it's it's the most ambitious thing I've been involved with in my career. Yeah. Uh, and I tell the Louise and Ryan that sometimes I'm not trying to make them nervous. <laughs> it makes them but nice it's like, and calm. Right, exactly. <laughs> but it's, it's such an opportunity. Yeah. And, and the biggest challenge there will be how, does, how do we replicate is the word we've been using. I'm not sure it's the right word, but how do you take what's so rich in the demonstration site of the, sort of the laboratory and then make it available to others in a way that they can really benefit from it for their kids and their programs. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very similar to venture education in general. I mean, that's been a massively successful replication of ideas that started, you know, in a high school site, Hamilton, Wenham High School in Massachusetts, 
and then has grown worldwide with so many different applications of it. You know, it's yeah. just fascinating. And there's a lesson to be learned in that one. And then there's this, this is probably a little bit more academic approach in some of the things, but it's still experiential ed, but how does it take place in the classroom? Yeah. A lot of evaluation going on. I mean, it's fascinating. I'm, I, uh, yeah. I've used the phrase a couple of times. I said, I'm in the twilight of my career and I've never been more excited and more challenged by some of the work that we're doing. And what's fun is I think too, edge of leadership, all the concepts within edge of leadership were housed in high five. Mm-hmm. And Ryan has mentioned this so many times. And all we did was we sort of purified them because we we're, there's never been an opportunity to have this kind of continuity with this many numbers of people and apply some of our things. So in their purest form, so many of the concepts and philosophies that were part of High Five are playing out in Edge of Leadership. And now you know it as it, as it filters back around again yeah. and it's influencing everything within High Five, but almost in a more organized fashion. So the development of our culture yeah. and who we are as a group trying to work together and uh, yeah, I just I'm I'm excited to see where it goes next. I mean, we think we know where it's going next, but yeah. you know, life is not a straight line, as Michelle Obama says. <laughs> I think she's the one that said that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's it's adventures always had adventure program has always struggled with with being able to do more than just one day. Like mm-hmm. often, it's one day programming with groups, and we don't have much follow up. <clears throat> This is a laboratory esque program where we get to see the same kids multiple times through the year. In high school, yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. It's like uh, Ryan and Anne Louise last week did Pikachu twelve times in a row. You know, how often do you do a single, even a single activity? You think of a laboratory beyond even the programming. You do an activity once it either works or it doesn't. You don't get too much information Mm -hmm. from that. Well, they were able to do that and able to give us trainers information about one activity yeah. even like that's the how deep i think this stuff often goes and in terms of replication the key in that being too because you know the intentionality of each of those activities as they relate to the cu- curriculum because a lot of the program yeah. now is sort of in in the curriculum for the school system is how do they take that activity peekaboo which everybody's played you know a million different times mm-hmm. but how is it wrapped in, in an intentionality for the particular 12 different classes, yeah. sometimes in 12 different ways yeah. that it has a value of learning for yeah. them that goes beyond that activity into the classroom, who they are as a group of learners trying to, yeah. you know, function together. And, you know, it's that too is never a straight line. I mean, 12 sessions, it's all over the place. I, <laughs> I mean, you, yeah. which yeah. I think is some of the charm of it, but what an opportunity. I mean, what, I think what CNS Wholesale Groceries has been giving us for an opportunity by funding this whole thing is just yeah. off the charts. I mean, yeah. It's fascinating. And I think we're doing a good job of it. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening. And do it again. Thanks for listening. And can you say, uh, thanks for listening to High Five? Thanks for listening to High Five. And then what about, thanks for listening to High Five's podcast. Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for getting off the path, guy. <laughs> thanks for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. It really does help us out a whole lot. And next time on The Road to High Five... Beyond uh, High Five's future, and you've got to see iterations of Adventure Ed for, for many decades, where do you see the next 10 or 15 years for adventure education? 
couple of years ago, I spoke at our symposium, and uh, you know, with some of it was like the next iteration of Adventure Ed, mm. and I think it's had many iterations since the early '70s or '71 when it started. 